so our passage today comes from, well, we continue in the book of Philippians. Book of Philippians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. Philippians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. Paul gives, Paul doesn't give a lot of warnings in the book of Philippians, but here he gives some strong warnings to the church because he just, he loves the congregation. And you see how, as a servant of Jesus Christ, you see the heart of Jesus in him for the congregation of Philippi. But verse 17, Philippians 3, verse 17, and we'll read to chapter 4, verse 1. They really belong together, those five verses. Let's hear God's word. Brothers, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk as I am whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved, and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stands fast or stand firm in the Lord, beloved. And that's our theme this morning, is Form 4, verse 1. Stand firm in the Lord. I think that really encapsulates the point of those five verses that we read together this morning. Yes, you know, Paul is a servant of Christ, and you see that in his writings. He loves the people of God. You see his genuine love, his genuine care for them. And he's so loving that he's willing to give a warning. More than willing. He must give a warning. Because there's troublemakers out there. Troublemakers in, he's talking about troublemakers in the church of Jesus Christ. You look at 4 verse 1, it just drips with love and with emotion. Paul's an emotional man as well. He says, my beloved. You know, two times he says beloved in there. That means dear ones. You are so dear to me. He says, my beloved, a long for brethren. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. My beloved, beloved. And you know, Paul is in prison for his faith in Jesus Christ. He's sitting in prison. And he just longs to see them. Uh, this, this people is the bride of Christ. And he, he's, he endears himself to them. He sees them as his joy and his crown. Think about what is your joy and crown in life. For Paul, it was this congregation. It was people. <laughs> it was his brothers and sisters in Christ. He calls them brethren. And that love just pours out in terms of also a command. He just he doesn't want to see them get hurt. He doesn't want to see them get uh, be strayed away from Christ. 
And he says here, so stand fast. Fast means firm. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And he encouraged them to stand firm in union with the Lord on his word, on the word of God, in spite of all the fears around them, in spite of all the the attacks upon their faith from the community around them. So applicable for our day, isn't it? You see how the church is increasingly being severely tested. Her faith is being severely tested in our own nation, in Canada. And that makes the warning all the more imminent, all the more uh, urgent. Stand fast. Stand firm in the Lord. That's the key word. In the Lord. In the Lord means on His word. Don't waver. Don't budge. Because there's your safety. There's your security. Stand firm. And Paul says, well, the three ways you can stand firm that helps you to stand firm. First of all, by following godly examples. You see that in verse 17. By following God-fearing examples. And second of all, it's really the opposite, 18 and 19, by not following ungodly examples. By not following ungodly examples. And third, by focusing beyond just this earth, this earth is real, no doubt, but by focusing on your citizenship, which is where? In heaven. Those three ways, those three ways we see it spelled out so nicely, so clearly in our text. Brothers, Paul says. Who are the brothers? Well, brothers includes brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't include people of the world. It's very clear. Brothers in Scripture always refers to brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Only. Right? From all cultures, from all countries, but it's those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Notice what Paul says. Right? Join in following my example. Isn't that a little boastful? Is Paul really humble? I mean, isn't he a little bit, does he have a bit of a big head, a little egotistical? Join in following my example. No, he's not. He's not being proud. You see it in other references in Scripture as well, such as 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, and other such places. The source. Let's go back to the source. The source of his example is not in himself. It's not do-goodism. Christians are not do-gooders. Right? That's the religions of the world. The source of his example is Christ. Christ himself. Think back to what we heard last week, verses 7 through 11. It's Christ. Being found in Christ. Christ, Paul didn't put himself in Christ. Christ found him. And he finds himself in Christ. And he realizes that he does not have his own righteousness. He has nothing to boast about in himself. His righteousness is the righteousness of God. It's a righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's his only foundation for security in this life. That's the first thing. And second thing, not only being found in Christ, but knowing Christ. 
That's the other aspect of the source. Christ is the source for his example. He knows Christ. And how is it that we know Christ? We show that we know Christ by dying to ourselves. Not self-esteem. Right? We die to ourselves. And we live to Christ. It's Christ's esteem. The esteem of Christ. And Paul says, that's the source of the example. That's the source of my example. And when he says, join in following my example, what, is, what example in him does he want does he want the congregation to follow? Get a good education like me? No. Have a high status like me? No. He regards those things as refuse, as dung, compared to gaining Christ. He's talking about Christ. Like Paul, then, may the power of Jesus' death and resurrection show in your life. See the work of Christ in Paul's life. How he, by the grace of God, is dying to himself and living to Christ. You see the example of God's grace in his life. That's the first thing. The second thing that we saw last week is, because of that, he wants to shake off all apathy, all laziness in the Christian life, and press on toward the goal, towards the prize that Christ has in hand for him. So yeah, a Christian is never really truly content in his own spiritual state. We're talking about spiritually. He's never content spiritually. He wants to grow more. He wants to learn more. He wants to press on. He wants to grow more and more like Christ. In that way, Paul holds himself forth as an example of what God can do in your life by his grace. What Paul, what God did in him, the worst of sinners, Paul called himself, the worst of sinners, what Christ can do. And now he says in verse 17, note those who so walk as you have us as a pattern. Note here has the word see. Right? How, does, how, do, how do we learn by example? Often by seeing. We see it in other people's life. See, observe. Those who so walk, you know, you have examples. We have examples around us. We have examples among us in the congregation. In the congregation of Philippi, there were believers who were new, new Christians. Everything was so new in terms of the Christian life. A lot of them came out of other religious backgrounds. They had no clue about Jesus and about what life in Jesus looks like. And now they need to learn how to grow. And boy, as God is so patient with us, we too need to be so patient that as they grow and learn how to walk, right? A baby before it becomes an adult or mature needs to learn how to walk. And that's what Paul is saying to the new believers too. You observe. You look around. You see. Does their life, what you see, does their life match what Jesus says in the Bible. Paul says, you have us for a pattern. Who's the us here? Paul refers to himself. He refers to Timothy. He refers to Epaphroditus. The older, the more mature believers in Christ among them. You know that word pattern. 
they're a pattern for the believers. Always think of, uh, I think it's kindergarten grade one, maybe Mrs. Nathaniel does that, with the letters, the alphabet letters in the book. And it's all, you could say, figured out. It's all, in a certain sense, patterned out. And then the little children have to trace on top of it. Right? They have to copy the pattern, a C with dots. And they have to copy the pattern, C. Okay? That's what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. To have something that's exactly like the pattern that you see. When children learn that, then they know how to write a C. Or is it this way? Yeah, this way. A C. Or a T. Or an E. That's the pattern. And they learn from example. That's what Paul's getting at here. Christ uses godly examples, you know, from all different cultural backgrounds. We all have our own cultures. But still, there's a Christian culture, isn't there? God uses godly examples to help us to grow and to stand firm in the Lord. Boy, we need that. We need, we need that encouragement. We need that encouragement. Weak believers need that encouragement. For raising children God's way, for what a marriage should look like, we're not going to find that on TikTok. We're not going to find that in Bollywood. Not going to find that in Hollywood. They're destructive role models. They're terrible role models. They're the exact opposite of what Christ has set forth in all his beauty and all his glory. You know, we live in a society, Canadian society, doesn't know what a family is anymore. They don't know what a marriage looks like anymore. What is marriage? They don't know. The Canadian government has redefined marriage. So that's no longer according to what the Bible says what a marriage is. What does authority in the home look like? What does a relationship between a husband and a wife look like? How do we raise our children in the Lord? How do we raise them to be firm in the Lord? All new things. Brand new. And this is the kind of thing that the Apostle Paul is addressing the church in Philippi. A lot of them came from backgrounds that didn't have any idea except for what they saw around them. We live in a society which does not know the blessing of the day of rest, Sunday. People don't know what that looks like. People don't even know that there's such a thing as a day of rest. New, strange. But the beautiful thing here is God, of all peoples, of all nations, he's creating a new culture. That's the true culture. The culture comes from the word of God. The true culture. The culture of salvation. The culture of beauty comes from the word of God. There's only one other culture. That's the culture of the world, which is not according to the word of God. God is busy preparing. Christ is busy preparing, creating a new culture, a new society in the midst of an old, trampled down, broken, miserable society. God places role models. He places godly examples in the congregations. 
as patterns for new believers who are coming to faith in Christ. They need models. To be models then doesn't mean to become proud. No. It's the loving thing to do, to share your life, how you've learned from your parents and grandparents, especially those who grow in the Christian faith. And it's a blessing for others to share in. That's the, what it means, koinonia. That's what it means to share in the fellowship of the gospel. Christ is creating a new society. The power of godly examples as a way to help people to get rooted in the Lord, to become firm in the Lord. Sadly, our society today, it's not so much the church leading by example to society, which what you see happening is the opposite. The society is leading by example for the church. And you see, sadly, so many churches adopting the agenda, the values of the world around us. And many have just said, you know what? We want to look respectable to the world. Well, to look respectable to the world, what do you got to get up? You got to give up the word of God. You have to throw it away. You got to give up standing firm. Only then will you be truly respectable to the world. It's a clash. Paul recognizes that. And so, you see today, sad reality. Church is taking on ways of idolatry, the ways of perversion from the world. Not every church building you see in Canada is a church of Jesus Christ. Some of them are synagogues of Satan. Truly they are. They've given up the word. They've given up Christ. They become ugly. No longer the beauty of the culture that Christ is framing and forming. And that's what Apostle Paul warns about in verses 18 to 19. Stand firm in the Lord by not following, by not imitating what you see out there among ungodly examples. Look at what he says in verses 18 and 19. He says, many walk, there's that word walk again, many walk, of whom I told you often, and now tell you again, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. That was a real threat to the congregation of Philippi. It was already happening in the church of Corinth. The church was being invaded by ungodly examples. But there's three things we should note here. And we see how it's so applicable and why we need to stand firm today in the Lord. Paul says, first of all, there are many. Not just a few. There are many why is he weeping? You know, this is the one of the few references in the, in the epistle of the Philippians where he doesn't talk about joy. It's, a, it's the epistle of joy. This is the only reference to weeping in this epistle of Philippians. Why is he weeping? Because he sees professing Christians, including Christian leaders, who are dishonoring the name of Christ by their very lives. Think of the health and wealth gospel. Terrible. Terrible examples among them. We can think of many other examples. Right? Dishonoring the gospel, dishonoring the name of Jesus by their very lives. 
And because they say they're Christian, they often have big influence. People get tricked. People get deceived and say, oh, he has a lot of power. But they're devils in angels' clothing. And Paul weeps to see what's happening in the churches. And he says to Philippi, be careful. Be careful. They don't help others grow in the faith. They keep others from coming to faith in Christ. And these are such a source of great pain to Paul. He weeps. The only tears in this letter. It hurts him. And he shows that he is torn apart by thoughts of professing Christians behaving like non-Christians who embrace the values of the world, who live according to the world to look respectable. They say they believe in Jesus, but by their lives they show they deny the power of the cross. Remember the source of example? They deny the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection, the power of the cross, right? A real dying to self. The power of the resurrection. This is what we call conversion, right? Conversion to Christ. And Paul says they are enemies. The worst form of enemy there is are the enemies who come out of the church. That's not other religions. No, it's those who say they believe in Christ, but behave the opposite. Paul says they're enemies. They're enemies of what? Of the cross. We preach Christ crucified, but they're enemies of the cross. They make fun of it by pretending they're Christian, but they deny the power of it. They have a form of godliness, says Timothy, says Paul to Timothy. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. Enemies of the cross. How do they show it in their lives, being enemies of the cross? Well, think back to the heart of the gospel. Repentance and faith. Dying in Christ, who died on the cross. Rising to new life. In Christ's resurrection. Well, Paul gives a threefold description of these godless Christians who don't, who don't submit to Christ the King. Well, a lot of people can say, Jesus is my Savior. But he, do they believe in him as their Lord? If you have Jesus as your Savior, you have him as your king. You can't separate Jesus. If he's Savior, he's Lord, he's king. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And he gives a threefold description. First, he says, whose end is destruction. In other words, what he's saying is, their end is not good. Don't pretend that they're saved. They're not. Their end is terrible. Destruction. And this means that this does not mean that they stop existing after they die. No, they continue to live, but in everlasting destruction. Hell is real. Hell is a place. Hell is a place of everlasting destruction. 2 Timothy or 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9 uses that term. Everlasting destruction. It's not just annihilation. No, everlasting destruction. Their end is not good. Paul says, I don't want you guys going that way. Second thing he says is, whose God is their belly. When you think about belly, what do you think about? Or you think of appetites. Right? People talk about that their eyes are bigger than their stomach. right? They, they, they put a lot of food on their plate. 
but they can't finish it. Eyes are bigger than their stomach. We think of appetites. But here, the appetites are not just about food, but it's all kinds of appetites. The big one in our culture, even for Christians, money. Money. Right? Pleasures. Sexual morality. Prestige. Self-indulgence. Lust. And Paul is saying is, they make a God out of it. Your God is what you live for. That's what Paul, Paul is saying is, your God is what you live for. This becomes your life. You give your life to it. And you know, the sad thing is, they disregard the teaching of God's word that says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit in which we are to glorify God. Paul says this because he loves the people and he knows that, that he knows that they, they need to be protected. And Christ is the one who protects, right? But finally he says, whose glory is in their shame. They not only do those things which are shameful, but they even brag about it. They go to work the next day and say, you know what I did last night? And they boast about what they did. Paul says in Ephesians 5.3, fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Very recently, I think this is an appropriate place to make this application. I think it's legitimate. On January 8th, Bill C-4 became law in Canada. And the Bible's teaching on sexuality, the Bible's teaching on gender, is now officially defined in the Canadian law as myth. Okay, it's a very religious document. This document, this Bill of Canada, they define this as myth under the Canadian law. And so the promotion, if you promote the Bible's teaching, if you share the Bible's teaching, that's enough to criminalize those. Right? It will be a jailable offense. You go to jail for teaching it, for promoting it. It's a temptation. This new law is broad enough to criminalize those who offer freedom through the gospel, offering repentance and faith in Jesus Christ to those who are in bondage to sexual sin. That's, that's, what, that's what brings them out of it, out of the bondage, out of slavery, and brings them into the glorious liberty as sons and daughters of God. But no, they want to criminalize it. And the strong temptation, and this is the point, the strong t- temptation is, I want to look respectable to society. I'm not going to teach it anymore. I'm not going to preach on it anymore. I'm just going to give in. And you know what's sad to say? It's going to happen first among the church leaders. And if the church gives in, Apostle Paul says, you're an enemy of the cross. An enemy of the cross. Really, brothers and sisters, stand firm in the Lord. We need to listen to the Bible. It's not, the Bible is not one opinion among a thousand opinions. It's the truth. It's the only truth. It's the absolute truth for all times, for all cultures, and forever.
Everything else will pass away, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. It's infallible, it's inerrant for all time. And yeah, the exhortation is clear. Stand firm in the Lord, not by following, not by listening. Even if it means jail time. Don't listen to that. Listen to the word of God. Paul was in prison for the sake of the gospel. But notice finally in those verses, verse 19, what's the mindset behind such behavior? The behavior of the God being their belly. And uh, what's the other one? Acting in shame. What's the mindset behind it? Paul says that they set their minds on earthly things. That's the real problem. They're not converted. These, these Christians who say they're converted, but they're not. They're not converted because all they set their mind in is on earthly things. This earth, this life, is all they have. That's all they live for. And they set their minds on that. It's so opposite of the mindset of the true Christian, isn't it? You know, the mindset of the world is so narrow, so limited, so closed, so boring. It's so small, so tiny. But Christ lays up before us a mindset which is so big, which is so futuristic, which is so progressive in terms of looking forward. It's so big. It's a bigger vision. It's a glorious vision. Hang on to that. If you believe in Christ, you have it. Hang on to it. And Christ is powerful enough to keep you in it. Never doubt that for a minute. He will keep you in that way. The one who began a good work in you will also complete it. There's something eternal about it. There's something permanent about it. Houses and cars get fried. But not this. This is permanent. This is eternal. This is beautiful. This is amazing. It's reality. That brings us to our final point. Stand from the Lord finally. Focusing on the true citizenship. Right? I think we're, or most of us are citizens of Canada. Not everyone. I think Yadan is not a citizen of Canada, China. But we're citizens. We're all citizens of one place or another in this world. Right? Citizens. Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the believers in Philippi? No doubt they were citizens of whom? Or which country? Rome. Right? The Roman Empire. They were citizens of the Roman Empire. And they had no problem being citizens of the Roman Empire. They lived in the city of Philippi. It was a Roman colony. A deeply, uh, I mean, it was a very deeply grounded Roman colony. Uh, They participated in the daily life of Philippi. They earned a living in Philippi. They hobnobbed with other people in Philippi. They did their grocery shopping. They had their everyday lives. They didn't separate in a little bubble. No, they just lived among them. And yet Paul says, remember though, you're first of all a citizen. You're citizens of a different kingdom. You're not only citizens of a different kingdom, But you belong to a different master. You belong to whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. Through his sacrifice on the cross, he loved you so much, 
He shed his blood for you on the cross. He dressed you in the robes of his righteousness. And he redeems you. And he claims you as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we are. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Such citizens are the result, you can see, of the birth from above. Where is that, how does that birth come from above? By the Spirit of God, John chapter 3, who applies the work of Christ. Paul's reminding the church in Philippi that they are a colony of heaven, a colony of heaven living on earth, in the midst of the colony of Rome. But wow, you can say it this way, the church, the colony of heaven, is really the capital city on earth. Think of it that way. You belong, wherever we come from as Christians, we belong to the capital city on earth. You are the capital city on earth. And it's really, the world consists of two societies. The new one and the old one. The word and the world. They never can the two compromise. They are two parallels. But the word, of course, is more powerful. And that's why people get very upset. The world, the world becomes very upset. Society becomes very upset that you don't agree with their views. That you don't agree with their practices that are against the word of God. Because our allegiance is, first of all, to Christ and to his word. And the world gets upset by that. They know this is truth. But they don't want to admit it. But Paul says, stand firm. Right? Christ did this for you. And by the grace of God, you'll stand firm. This gospel confronts sin. It takes the mask off and shows reality for what it is. The gospel is mighty for pulling down strongholds of unbelief. It breaks all the pretend unity in society. Oh, society talks about unity, but it's all pretense. The peace in society is all pretense. It's not peace. The only peace is found in Jesus Christ. It's the peace that maintains us, isn't it? It's the true peace. For every reality there's in Christ, there's a counterfeit in the world. They want to hold it up high. They don't have it. It falls apart. You know, when the apostles first preached the gospel in Philippi, you know, the very first time when they preached the gospel, it was deeply unsettling. You know what happened? It disturbed the status quo. It disturbed the political status quo. Because if you go back to Acts 16, I think it's 20 and 21, Paul preached, Silas preached, and what happened? They were taken to the magistrates for their preaching. And what did those, those people complain about? These men being Jews, they trouble our city. Uses the word exceedingly. So exceedingly, what is that? That's a lot. They trouble our city a lot. Why? We're Romans. And what are they doing? They're teaching customs which the Romans don't have. They're breaking our unity. They're breaking our society apart. No, actually not. Christ is creating a new society. Out of the brokenness of the old emerges a new society. Boy, hold firm to the Lord. Stand fast in Him. Because watch Him work. He will continue to create that new society. 
This is what gets the church into trouble today, doesn't it? When your allegiance is, first of all, to Christ and to the Bible, it's, it, it, it unsettles people. It makes them afraid. As a matter of fact, society says, we want you to stand with us. We don't want you to stand firm in the Lord because then you oppose us. Society says, haven't we heard this for two years now? We're all in this together. The idea that there's oneness, there's unity, but you're only going to find it in the politic, outside the church. But no, remember, remember who you are. You are special. You are different. You belong to a different master. You're beautiful. You are re- being recreated in the image of God. You belong to a new society. Uh, you belong to a good and gracious master. Those masters out there, they take out their whips and they tyrannize you. But that's not Christ. Oh, what an invitation to continue to stand firm in him. You will be blessed. No wonder Paul is moved to tears. The gospel calls people everywhere, doesn't matter from which religion, everywhere, to repent and believe in Christ because he's the only true way to God. There is no other way whereby God accepts us except through faith in Jesus Christ. He offers real freedom to those in bondage to sin. And he does so. He frees us through repentance and faith. I think we can make a little application here. And I think, again, it's legitimate. I think in a lot of ways, we can be very thankful for, the, for many of the initiatives the Freedom Convoy is making. Because they're, they're requesting, they're demanding that all mandates and all restrictions be lifted. What they're after is a restoration, a freedom to work once again, a freedom to open all restaurants, to open all businesses. It's been unjust two years later. It's unjust to close those things down. It's time to open up. It's time to open up churches. It's time. Freedom to associate, freedom to worship. This is good. This is righteous. But you know what? All this may be good, but the one freedom they cannot bring, which our country desperately needs, is the freedom from the bondage to sin and Satan, which only Christ can give. By the way, it's only because of a Christian past. It's only because of a Christian church in the past that you see the fruit of those freedoms from the past. Right? Because of our belief in Christ, it showed in the fruit of civil freedoms and the application of freedoms to society. But it's time to go back to basics. It's time to go back to Christ. It's time to go back to the gospel. Because only then can we experience true freedom until we see the application of that freedom once again in society. You know, the freedom that Jesus brings is characterized by hope. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's going to make all things right? 
No power on earth can. Christ will. He will make all things right. All the injustices. He will turn upside down. And he will bring in justice and righteousness for you. For his people. You think about that. And that's why we can face the world in the future with optimism. Please, don't think of doomsday. That's the world. We, have, we live in a new society. The future has broken into the present and it can only get better. Ultimately, it can only get better. And that's what Paul is laying forth before the Philippians. He says, you're going to face hard things, but you keep that, you keep that citizenship before you. He's going to make all things right. Those words in Revelation eleven fifteen, right? We hear this. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. A glorious future is set before all who belong to Christ by faith. And you know, it doesn't end in the grave. Paul goes on in verse 21. He talks about a new body, a new creation, a glorious Lord. No more competing infidels against the Savior. Look at verse 21 who will transform the Savior whom we are waiting for so eagerly. Why is it that we're so eager with expectation? Because he will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. You know, our body is lowly. Why? Because of sin. Disease ravages our body. Aging. All those things really humble us, don't they? I mean, you see decay, and eventually every person succumbs to death. It's a humiliation. But, you know, compared to the narrow-mindedness that we see in the world, Christ has before us a vision so big, he says, there's a promise. That body that dies will come out of the grave. You believe that? He will raise our bodies from the dead. He created the heavens and the earth. He rose from the dead himself. He will do this. He will change our lowly body, which he will raise from the dead, so that we'll be conformed. Conformed means it'll be like his glorious body, his resurrected body. You know, our future, think of it this way, is an earthly hope. It is, in this sense, because heaven is coming to earth. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, will reclaim and renew all this creation that belongs to you, to his people. Stand firm. It is so worth it. It is so worth it. Don't sell your soul for a pottage of stew like Esau did. But trust in the Lord. He will transform our bodies which die. It belongs to the coming new. That new. You know how verse 19 ends? It's according to the working. You could say it's according to the energy, according to the divine power by which he will subdue all things to himself. There's the new creation. New body, new creation. He will subdue all things. If he does that, certainly he's also going to bring with it new bodies. Believers. In the Lord Jesus Christ. We can wait with eager expectation Brothers and sisters, Jesus is king. He is Lord. There is no other. There is 
no other. And there's only one word. And it's the truth, the word of salvation, the gospel. Stand firm in the Lord. Find your godly examples. Follow them. Don't follow ungodly examples. They may speak nice. Look at their lives. What does it show? And focus on your true citizenship. Heaven. Why is it that the Lord's people can stand firm no matter the cost, even if we lose our own lives? Because in Christ, there is no loss. No loss. None. Only gain. Only gain. And a future to boot. An eternal one. That's big. That's wide. That's huge. That's glorious. Amen? For to me to live as Christ, says Paul, and to die is not loss, but gain. Amen.